When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Testing, testing, one, two, three. I hear you loud and clear. All right, we good, we good. Welcome back to the 104.6.1 podcast, everybody. Episode 11, I got my main man Kyle DeBrow out here, my boy out here from Enfield, Connecticut, one of the first friends I made in Florida, one of the better sport connoisseurs that I am very well. How do I put this, Kyle? We've gotten into plenty of the discussions and debates, someone I'm very familiar with when it comes to talking about my feelings and combining that with sports. What's going on, Kyle? What's going on, Kev? I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. It's a little late, but, you know, with everything going on and figuring out how this whole, what's the word I'm looking for, connection is going to go. I know my last episode, my boy wasn't as clear, so I'm hoping this works a little bit better. Uh, Let's just dive right into it. Let's be honest, man. Last night's game, Dallas versus L.A., let me get your thoughts on it, bro, because you know I got you know I got a, a little mouth on me ready to snap. Well, I mean, from last night's game, like I I remember the the Clippers got out to a pretty hot start. I think they got out to like a ten zero run before uh, Mavs called a timeout. And um, I remember you were texting me last night that you know the Mavs were going to be down by like forty, or they were going to lose the game by forty at some point. And um, you know, after that after that run that the Clippers made, you know, pretty much um the Mavs came right back. They made they made a good run of their own and at least made it competitive. So, you know, at first, you know, I think the Mavs just you know, were a little were a little slow at the gate. You know, the Clippers came out pretty hot. But then after that it was it was a fairly competitive game. Um I thought Luca, you know, for this being his playoff debut, it's only his second year in the league. And yet, he dropped 42 like it was nothing, you know. And the way that I look at it is, even if, even if the Clippers are the you know the favorite to win the series, you know the fact that you have you know a second year player who's playing in his first career playoff game drop 42 on it and can literally drive into the lane without really any problem whatsoever, that's at least concerning moving forward into the playoffs. But you know, as far as you know, as far as the game went, you know, Kawhi did his thing. I thought Paul George you know, did his thing as well. The only thing that that kind of stood out to me though was just the Mavs just continue to struggle defensively, and that's kind of been one of the things that I've seen over the last couple of games when they've been playing in, in the bubble before the playoffs started. I mean, yeah, we're just <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to stay composed. But when I needed to snap from our last game uh, that I was upset about the performance we had out against uh, Houston, I kind of kept my mouth shut. And I, th- I think this time I, it's about time I let loose, you feel me? So I'm going to drive right into the nitty-gritty. The second the game fucking started the way that it did, obviously I said what I said. I tweeted what I tweeted. I was upset. We came out flat for a team that is coming back into the playoffs for the first time in four years. 
for a team that has a majority younger roster in terms of productivity, for a team that has a sensational star, once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-generational talent, and a superstar, or should I say, you know, like an elite player like Kristaps Porzingis can be when healthy, I think we came out of the gate horrible. Yes, the Clippers went on their run, but, I mean, within the first two minutes of basketball, Luka Doncic had four turnovers. He ended the game with 11. That is fucking ridiculous. Luka Doncic is already spoiled in the essence of being a superstar, knowing he's one of the top five, top ten, depending on who you talk to, players in the league. And when he doesn't get a call, he, he, he stops playing defense. I've had multiple conversations, multiple people, multiple friends of mine, you as well. I don't give two flying fucks if it's LeBron James. Bro, if you don't get the whistle, get back on defense. That offense is too effective from the Clippers to be down 5-4. The fucking well, – who were we talking about last week? This, this Zubat, Zubat, this motherfucking Pokemon. Yeah, yep. that, that motherfucker out here trying to cook us consistently on the inside so we can't afford being down a man and then them feed the inside or Paul George or Kawhi getting an open look. But what did we do? We come out the gate. It's fucking 18-2, to two, right? I'm pissed. Mm. I'm hot. I'm watching with my girl. Shout out to Bay. And she's really getting into the games, by the way, for, for your reference and everybody else. I'm really, really getting her into basketball, and it's really nice to see her put efforts in the one and to watch it with me. So it's nice. But, yo, like, I just got really mad at how bad we fell apart. We are very shot-heavy. We are a very three-point-oriented team. And when we, we, we cut the lead back down, I believe it was 10 to 18. Doc Rivers called the timeout, and we started uh, cutting back into that. And before you know it, we took the, we, we took the lead. You know what I'm saying? But that was all three-point shot base. That's all three-point heavy. We need to stop shooting so much because we are not the Golden State Warriors. We do not have the greatest shooters in our, of all time in our backcourt. We do not have Kevin Durant. You know what I mean? Like, we are not a team built around shooters. Tim Hardaway Jr. is effective when hot. Tim Hardaway Jr., however, almost shot us out of the game in the third quarter. I don't understand why we feel the need to throw up garbage with 21 seconds on the shot clock. I just don't understand it. It infuriates me to watch basketball. And then you have the ejection with Christoph Porzingis in the third quarter. I, I, don't, I cannot even fathom how bad the goddamn referees in the fucking NBA are for them to call a technical foul, first and foremost, on the block. Like, come on. It is the playoffs. The man had a phenomenal all-ball block, maybe had a little bit of a forearm, but let's be honest, that's a fucking block. Anybody else blocks that, like LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, any, any major uh, effective shot blocker, in the, that's not going to be called a, a foul. He gets animated, he gets upset, like anybody else would have, because it was such a close call, they blow a tech within, within a millisecond. It's the fucking NBA playoffs, bro. Come on, my guy. Are you serious right now? You gonna you gonna blow my tech right then and there? Completely change the completely change the the whole uh, uh, spectrum of the game in that sense. He had to play a little bit more safe. He had to play a little bit more careful. It is what it is. What are you trying to say, Kyle? Because this is only gonna get worse. And not only that, you know, after that ejection took place, I mean, there were a bunch of players. It wasn't just NBA players that were watching the game. You know, I saw Patrick Mahomes was talking about that the ref made a terrible decision when it came to you know ejecting Porzingis. And, you know, I saw LeBron James tweet about it. So it was pretty much universal that, you know, that everybody had an issue with Porzingis getting thrown out of the game, you know, really over 
not that much. It was it, it got a little heated, but I don't think it was worthy of, of an ejection. So, you know, I, I understand your frustration with the refs, and, you know, it is the playoffs, and I think, you know, when it comes to the refs, you know, they need to be aware that, you know, when you eject somebody who is that crucial to the team, that it's going to have a major impact on that team's ability to perform. And you kind of saw that going down the stretch, going into the fourth quarter. So don't get me wrong. Luca can get get you buckets. But not having Porzingis there, you know, to kind of feed off of Luca if he needs to, it, it can leave a major impact on the team. So, but, but outside of that, I thought, you know, I thought like Seth Curry, you know, I thought he gave some serviceable uh, serviceable minutes off the bench. You know, he was he was four eight from three, dropped fourteen points. Um, but outside of that, you know, the bench really didn't show up. Bench didn't show up. The mentality didn't show up. I mean, I, I it's like I mentioned. The second I saw Tim Hardaway Jr. start doing what he was doing late in the third quarter after KP got kicked, and then in the fourth, and I mean like. I believe there was a point in the fourth quarter where Tim Hardaway comes off of a screen from Boban, pulls a terrible shot. It's a brick. We get the offensive board. What does Tim Hardaway do? One dribble pull up again with with 19 seconds on the clock. What, like, I want to know what their mindset is when people like Luca and KP are not in the game. Like, you need to understand your role, and I understand your role as a shooter. Not only spot up, a catch and shoot off the dribble. You, you're effective. Tim Hardaway Jr. is like his old man and is an effective scorer completely and honestly respect it and understand it. But it gets to a point where this is the fucking NBA playoffs and your dumbass shot selection can literally throw us out of the game like it did against the Clippers a few weeks ago. We cannot continue to throw up garbage if we want to compete. And it depends it depends on the type of play that they're running. You know, if you get a, if you get an open look, you know, and you're in rhythm, you know, it's one thing, you know, to to shoot an open shot you know, after a couple, you know, after maybe, you know, 12 to 15 seconds have gone off the play clock. But, you know, if you're just going to get, you know, a little bit of separation or get a mismatch against you, you know, against your defender, and you're going to chuck the shot with like 18 seconds left, you know, I'm not saying that it's, you know, if it's an open shot, you know, it's up to you whether or not to take the shot. But I would at least, you know, try to at least set up a play, at least, you know, get some ball movement and get not only a better open look, but one, you know, get, get it to a player that you think is going to knock down the shot. So, 100%. 100%. No, and, and not only that, you know, kind of going back to, you know, the point that you made about Luka having 11 turnovers, I mean, you know, the Clippers, you know, it was a – the Clippers had 12 turnovers. Dallas had 21. You know, you have 10 turnovers in a game. You, you basically, you know, minus 10 in turnovers. And the game, you know, the Clippers only won by eight points. You know, if you were to cut, you know, those turnovers just by five, you know, it's a one-possession game more than likely going down into the stretch. 100%. So. Couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I think as a superstar, correct me if I'm wrong, right? You're one of the bigger Kobe fans I've ever met in my life, obviously coming from a Laker family, right? My parents, or should I say my dad and my brother, and then a lot of friends from home who are big Laker fans. If Kobe goes out there, right? If God, you know, rest in peace to the Mamba. Uh, Lakers are doing a big, big, big shout-out to him on uh, August 24th against the Blazers. They're going to be wearing their Mamba edition uniforms. Big mm-hmm. kudos to them. Yep. Uh, if, if Kobe goes out there, or if he wants to go out there, 
he goes and drops 45-7-9, but has 12 turnovers, and the Lakers lose. Do you think Kobe Bryant or any other analyst should give him a pass? It, it kind of depends. Because, like, the way that I always look at it, it kind of de- it kind of depends on the team that he had, like, who, who he had around him. And for me, I would rather have freaking Kobe take, you know, 30, 35 shots a game than to kick it out to somebody else who I'm not as confident is going to make that shot. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if it's from every – if you're looking at it, if you're looking at it from an outside perspective and you're not looking at it from a Laker fan's perspective, yeah, I think it's it's very easy, you know, to criticize Kobe in a sense because, you know, he's jacking up thirty shots, you know, and has a bunch of turnovers. But, you know, when you look at the kind of the dynamic of the team, you know, if you don't have confidence in your teammates, you know, in their ability to knock down shots and it gets to a point where you feel like the game is slipping away from you, you know, Kobe would take, you know, would take the reins and just try to get back his way. I'm not saying that it was the right way, but I think he had a lot more confidence in himself, you know, to get those shots off. And even if they were bad, even if they were bad shots, even if they weren't the best shots, I think he was more confident in himself to knock down those shots than give it to a teammate or pass it to a teammate who he just didn't have confidence in. Agreed. Um, maybe it was a bad analogy just because strictly Kobe Bryant, we all know, and for those of you that don't, Kobe Bryant always for the majority of his career played with a pretty solid team around him other than the Smush Parker years and the later years with the Jordan Hills and the Jeremy, Jeremy Lins, you know what I mean? But, like, when mm-hmm. Kobe was competing for a championship, Kobe really always had a great team around him. Yeah, and I always, and I, I kind of focus, I guess, kind of more towards like the later part in his career. This was after his championship run, because you know I remember like I think the last like playoff series that I saw him playing, I think it was against the Thunder. I think he dropped like forty some points in against OKC. I mean, they were going to lose the game anyway. They were going to lose the series anyway. But even despite the fact you know that they were probably going to lose the series, he's going to go out there and still drop forty you know, despite, you know, it be a losing effort. Again, I, I think I made a bad analogy just because Kobe Bryant's not the t- – Luka, Luka, Luka Bryant, wow, what the hell is wrong with me? Luka Doncic is not the type of player that Kobe is. Luka Doncic is – it's really hard to find a player to compare him to because he really is a one-in-a-generational talent. He doesn't have the shot like Larry Bird, but he definitely has a better court vision. He doesn't have the rebounding ability of Russell Westbrook, but he does find ways to go and get scrappy boards. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he, is a, he is definitely a combination of players, but it's sad to say a lot of times I do compare him to James Harden. And I, 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 hear me out. I shit on James Harden on the literal daily. I do not like to watch James Harden play. But last night, a lot of plays were just straight up isolation plays where, where, where Maxi Cleaver wasn't even coming to set the screen. It was just, I'm going to beat you off the dribble because I'm that much better than you. Did, it, did, did he succeed in shooting over 50% from the field? Absolutely. Did he end up with nine assists and seven boards? Absolutely. But he also had a James Harden night with turnovers because these were not turnovers based off of bad passes. This was him getting ripped. This was him losing the ball. This was him driving because he thought he was better into a double team and, and, and just losing the ball. 
So I, I, I really did see a lot of James Harden-esque plays. And then to double that, to, 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 to make it worse, to, to shit on my, my, my team's best player, he wasn't playing a lick of fucking defense. Mm-hmm. He would get ripped, not even 50% walk down the court, and then if by some chance he did, he was saying, pick up my man, pick up my man. And I remember in the fourth, he got ripped, he lost the ball, or he had a bad shot. I can't remember. The uh, the Clippers pushed the basketball. Luca legit stared at the ref for about a second, halfway jogged up the court, told Tim Hardaway Jr. to pick up his man, and then the man that he told him to pick up, which was, who was it? I think Paul Joe. I forget. Oh, my God. It was Lou Williams. I don't remember. Somebody on the fucking Clippers then knocked down that shot because Luca said to Tim to pick up his. Tim went to go pick up Luca's. Luca was still trailing. He put no effort into putting a hand up, and there goes that shot. Until Luca gets off of that high horse of I'm, I'm above defending, which is what I tell James Harden to do if he really wants to compete for a championship, you're not going to win, bro. It does, I don't give a shit if you dropped 60, 20, and 20. We lose, and you have 10-plus turnovers, you are at fault. In my opinion, yes, and, I'm, I'm giving a hypothetical. If he has 60, that's half of our team's points last night. I understand that. But it, people have to understand that basketball in the postseason is possession by possession. It is a game of runs. If you score 35 in the, in the first half and then you score, what did I say, 60, right? So if you score 15 points here and then 10 points here, that 60 is irrelevant to me because you turned the ball over and you did not do what you needed to do on the defensive end. Those are fair points. I guess what, like when I when I look at somebody like Luca, you know, granted, I, I'm not going to give him a pass for the 11 turnovers. You know, obviously he needs to clean those up. However, you know, and we talked about this yesterday while the game was going on. You know, even though like when it comes to Luca's, you know, defensive liabilities, you know, the fact that you know he could still get you 40 points, you know, that's at least that's at least a positive in one sense. I know it's I know the turnovers need to be cleaned up. You know, I, I understand that. But, you know, if you, if you take the game, you know, both sides, I thought for, for Luca's first playoff game, it was, it was a pretty good effort. Obviously, he needs to get better defensively. And I think over time, that is something that he'll improve on. Because even like, you know, we all know what James Harden's defense was like a couple years ago. where He's basically just standing there letting – you know, the guy that he's going up against just go right by him without any sort of resistance. You know, and I will say to a certain extent that Harden's gotten a little bit better defensively. He's not as, you know, he's not as bad as he used to be like when he first got with the Rockets. And I think when it comes to Luka, I think Luka will kind of have a similar trajectory. I don't know. He's not going to be, he's not going to be an all pro defender. Like it's not going to happen. Absolutely not. Not going to be a first team defender. However, could he get to the point where he could be a serviceable defender and still get you thirty, still get you thirty on on a good shooting night? Absolutely. I think, you know, for Luca, you know, he's still developing his game. You know, I think offensively, you know, he's fine. I, as far as I'm concerned, he doesn't, you know, he can, you know, refine certain things in his game. But as far as I'm concerned, offensively. You know, that's the strongest point of his game. And I think over time, defensively, he will improve. And it may it may come from experiences like this, you know, where, 
you know, if he continues to be a defensive liability, you know, his team's going to suffer because of that. I just I have two final points just because I can talk about this for four hours and I really can get more animated than I already am. I'm not capping a filter. I'm just fucking fed up with it. I'm going back to the ejection. Adam Silver, if by some miracle of God you hear this, which you won't, but it's the point, get your fucking refs together, son. These referees have been garbage all bubble. Like all fucking bubble. All eight games, all post garbage, bro. Get your fucking shit together. Go put them in a fucking room and say, yo, how about we call a game like fucking men? Because that ejection was pure garbage. The, the, the Morris brother, whichever fucking brother that was, I, can, I always get them mixed up because obviously they're identical twins. I think it was Marcus. Whatever he did, however he went about it, I didn't think it was that serious. Luca took a little bit of offense to it. Obviously him being the fucking superstar on the team. KP fucking stepped up and said, yo, don't touch my man. Doing what he should have done, what any teammate would have done. So for, for, for an NBA referee to go and look at that and say that he fucking he, he, went in, he went in there without, what is it, a peacekeeper's mindset? My dude, it's 2020. He just fucking spun the best player. He fouled him hard. What did he do? He put his arm on and said, hey, chill, chill, chill. And he fucking he stood up for Luca. Bullshit. You fucking, you, you literally ruined the whole momentum of the game. Luca's out there alone, doing whatever he feels he needs to do. And obviously, still not playing defense, obviously turning the ball over. But I think if KP is there, we have a legitimate chance at stealing game one. Do we officially steal it? Absolutely not. Nobody knows. KP could have went and fucking went two for 37 in the rest of the game. Like, <laughs> I have, nobody knows. But it makes a difference. Players have to be cognizant of when KP is on the floor. People need to know that when they drive at the basket, they won't get easy contests or easy lamps because KP is a shot blocker. He's averaging 1.5 blocks since he entered the bubble. And he's a career 1.3 or 1 point or better uh, above a shot a game protector on average. Like, KP knows how to protect the rim. And then the next topic I'm going to put out there, the next final fucking phase I'm going to put out there, if the Clippers want to go out there and run their mouths, like Patrick Beverly, my dude, you didn't stop a fucking cold. You had 4,011 minutes of play, and you had three points because you had a wide-open corner three. Shut your mouth. You are irrelevant. And to Paul George, shout-out to Paul George for hitting that clutch shot that put, a, put them up eight because that is, that is effective basketball. He had a great, or should I say a decent night. Kawhi had 29, an effective night as well. And the Morris brother, Marcus, had about like 17 or 18. We need to figure out how to, how to guard people better. I saw a little bit better of urgency guarding the pick and roll in terms of getting over the screen. But if we're not going to go over, the Dallas Mavericks need to figure out how to guard the pick and roll. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we will be swept. And our, and, and, and our role players off the bench need to really think of, long and hard about how they want to play this series. I think that Justin Jackson, as much as I love him, shout out to UNC, um, as much as I love him, he has officially lost his minutes in my eyes because he cannot defend, and he's not knocking down open shots. And, yo, Michael Kidd Gilchrist with that chicken wing busted ass jump shot went and dropped this fucking, what was it, eight points last night, hit two threes? Shout out to MKG, bro. Way to hit your shot, son. Coming in. Locking up when you needed to, being effective, getting your hands on the cookie jar, and going out there and scoring when need be. 
I'm getting off this topic because I'm tired of it. I'm fucking agitated. I have had a headache all day from work, and I'm not going to let it get worse for this damn game. Kyle, you've been a Patriots fan your whole life coming from Connecticut. I got to ask you because I have spoken to other Patriots fans. What are your thoughts on what you're going to do this season with Cam Newton potentially holding it down for you guys because Belichick, or should I say McDaniels, has said the quarterback competition is open? All right, before we move on, I just have to ask, do you feel better? I do. I definitely do. Okay. I, have, I haven't had a rant in a while. I feel better. Listen, just know that I'm here, I'm here for you. And no matter what happens in that period, <laughs> I will always be there. You know, you want to go off about the refs? You want to go off about Luca turning the ball over? You want to talk about, you know, the Clippers talking smack? I'm here for you. Oh, so, my God. But ask, ask the uh, – but none of that's out of the way. Ask the, uh, the question about the Patriots again. Since the Patriots have moved on, obviously, from Tom Brady and Cam Newton has signed and is reported to camp, what do you feel your uh, what do you feel the Patriots are going to be able to do this season? Are they going to be able to make some noise? And obviously, do you think that there was some fire in some training camp rumors of the quarterback competition still being open? According to McDaniel's or Belichick, I can't remember which one it was. They stated that the quarterback position is open for competition. Well, I think for the Patriots, I think they're still going to be a competitive team, even even if it. If it's Jared Stidham as a starter, whether it's Cam Newton as a starter, I still believe that, you know, I think Cam Newton will probably be the starter. But I guess we'll find out in the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, I think a lot of people were probably thinking that, you know, after Tom Brady left the Patriots and went to the Bucks, that, you know, that, that, that the Patriots were going to take a step back with Jared Stidham. And Jared Stidham put up some, put up some decent plays during the preseason uh, last season when he got the opportunity to. Uh, but he still showed, you know, that, you know, that he was a rookie and was still, you know, making, you know, mistakes. Like, I remember last year they were playing against the Jets. I think I think they were up by, like, 30-some points. Uh, they take Brady out of the game. Stidham comes in. And within, like, the first couple of plays, he throws a pick six. So, and then after that, they put Brady back in the game. And I don't even think Stidham really made any sort of – I don't even think he got back into any sort of the games after that pick six the rest of the season. So I think I think a couple of things to, you know, to keep an eye on is, you know, what is Jared Stidham going like into his second season? Um, you know, he's got a year underneath his belt, a year of experience behind Tom Brady. So I think that will be helpful, helpful for him moving on. But it is going to be interesting to see how they utilize Cam because, I mean, you and I both know that Cam is just a freak of an athlete. You know, and that guy has been putting in, you know, just months of just, you know, trying to get back in the sh- – not only get back in the game shape, but the guy's been just living in the gym. So I'm excited to see, you know, what Cam can do in the Patriots offense. And this will be a, this will be a challenge for Josh McDaniels because he's never really had a quarterback like Cam, you know, while coaching – being the offensive coordinator for the Patriots. He's always – He's always been with Tom. So I think this will, this will give him a unique challenge compared to, you know, working with Tom Brady for most of his coaching career. Um, you know, but like I said, I think in the end, I think the Patriots are still going to win the AFC East. I don't really see that changing any in any significant way. I think the Bills are still going to be a competitive team. And I think the, I think the Dolphins, you know, 
we'll see how they move forward going uh, going forward with Brian Flores uh, into the second year. Uh, but I still think in the end that you know the Patriots are still going to be a competitive force in the AFC. I don't think I don't think that they'll reach the level of teams like the Chiefs or the Ravens. As far as I'm concerned, they're still those two teams are still the prohibited favorites coming out of the AFC. However, I still think the, the Patriots are going to be you know a team to contend with moving forward. Fair enough. I mean, a lot of people forget that McDaniel's was the coach of the Denver Broncos when Tim Tebow was over there. I know, mm-hmm. I know, I know, I know. Everybody tells me Tim Tebow sucked. Obviously, Gator Nation, shout out to y'all. Um, in the NFL, he just he did not produce, but they did find a way to lead the NFL in rushing in the games that Tim Tebow did play. So he has a little bit of experience with dealing with a mobile quarterback, even though it was a different system. Yes, he has majority of his coaching career with Tom Brady, but I think that maybe he'll have a little bit more of an idea than people are giving him respect for. Because Cam obviously has a much better arm than Tim. Cam obviously has a much more accurate arm. And Cam Newton is still in the NFL. So I think that McDaniels will find a way to get you guys in that offense situated. I think that you guys will be a little bit more run-heavy this year just because they're going to try to get Cam warmed up in that system until Edelman and Nikhil Harry and everybody really settles into that offense together with Cam. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a read option. Like I did say that a couple of weeks ago as seeing some of the practice films and seeing some of the uh, the drills that you guys are running. I don't really think that McDaniels is going to cater completely to Cam, but I do think that they're going to have a lot more mobile plays, whether that's rolling him out on a bootleg or having him do a little bit more of the play action, you know, a bite down of a quarterback sneak, see if the uh, running back flips out. You know what I mean? But I don't think that your offense will rely as heavily on the check down as it used to. But your receivers have to go out there and make separation. You know, uh, Mohamed Sanu was a midseason acquisition for you guys last year. He's been working out really hard. You, you, hopefully he can turn into form the way that he was in Atlanta back when uh, him and Julio Jones were balling out. Hopefully, uh, you know, Julian Edelman stays productive out there. And, you know, your first-round pick last year, Nikhil Harry, we, we both know, we've seen the film, the man's a stud. He is mm-hmm. just – he is an animal. But he didn't get to play last year barring a lot of injuries. So, you know, you guys have potential – and you guys have a running game when need be. And your defense, is it speaks for itself. I don't even need to get into that conversation as much as I hate to admit it. One of the best in the league in certain senses. You guys did play a lot of weaker opponents, so your defense did look a little bit more inflated. But it still, nevertheless, has a lot of talent, has a lot of all-pro all pro, uh, uh, and pro bowl talent. Missing Donta Hightower is going to hurt. I know it will. But... I would agree in terms of the Patriots will still be competitive. I will, however, disagree in terms of who wins the division just because we know Cam's attitude and his mindset can change midseason when things don't go his way. It has been proven multiple times. His mouth can get him into certain situations. We don't know the chemistry, if he's going to be able to build it in that locker room. The fact that McDaniels is making it an open competition when it shouldn't be in both of our minds, I know for a fact that him is nowhere near on the level of play that Cam can be. Now, if Cam goes out there and sucks it up and throws six interceptions in two games and no touchdowns, obviously, you know, sit him aside. But I don't think that it should be a competition just because of the respect that Cam Newton should bring into a locker room of, I've been to a Super Bowl, I've won an MVP, I, I, I have played competitive football for, what, ten seasons now almost? Eight, nine seasons in Carolina? I've led the Panthers to a, you know, 
a, a reawakening of some sort since the Jake DeLome days. And I don't know. I just, you never know. So I don't want to go and say you guys are the favorites. I would say definitely watch out for the Jets, as I've stated multiple times. I know that Jamal Adams is not there. But Sam Darnold in year three, I hope that he does a little bit better. They did lose a little bit of weapons on the outside, but Le'Veon Bell has seems like he's got a little more, a little bit more fuel in his tank this offseason. He's got a little bit more to say, so hopefully he's out to prove a point. And the Buffalo Bills, we both know that defense is deadly. That defense is scary. Josh Allen needs to learn when I need to throw a ball at a person. That doesn't mean throw within 20 yards of that person. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I mean, we'll we'll see. I think the AFC East is a lot more open than it has been in in over a decade. So I, we will definitely see what happens in that regard. Uh, I don't know if you agree with any of the points. Do you think Sam Darnold will have a uh, a, uh, a an outgoing third year? I I hope I hope so for his sake. It's just, I guess the way that that I've always looked at it is, is that you know really it's like for the last twenty years. I mean, there really hasn't been anybody to really kind of you know, give New England a really legitimate shot to dethrone them from the top of the AFC East. Other you than Mark Sanchez? I mean, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> you know, those, those, listen, those were two years, and, you know, shout out to Mark Sanchez and that defense, you know, for getting dub against us in 2010. Only was, reason I bring that up is because it's Bart Scott's birthday, and I saw that post-game interview with Sal Palantonio, and it was hysterical. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, I didn't. I don't see Tom Brady running into the backside of his own tackle, fumbling the ball, and then the other team picking it up and scoring. You know, picking up for a touchdown. So the butt fumble will always be one of the most infamous, most hysterical moments in NFL history. Along with, I know you're going to bring it up that fourth down call that Pagano called, where the Colts snapped the ball to Griff Whalen with no blockers, and I, I know it was coming. I said it before you could say it. I don't even want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about the slate gate. I don't want to talk about anything that you're going to throw at me. I know what you're going to say before you fucking say it. So I'm changing the goddamn topic because I don't need you fucking trying to roast me on my own show. So <laughs> transitioning, we talked about Tom Brady. Uh, I talked about the Bucks' new team, new look team with multiple people on the show, obviously in person as well. Do you think Tom Brady makes them instant Super Bowl favorites? Yes or no question? Yes. Why do you think that? Well, even despite the fact that he's a 43-year-old quarterback, offensively, like when it comes to his skills, when it comes to the skill positions on that team, that team offensively is loaded. Now, defensively, there's some question marks. I think offensively, though, you know, outside of you know the 2007 season when Brady had Randy Moss, Wes Walker, Dante Stallworth, Jabbar Gaffney and really kind of an all-pro offensive line, this is probably the most talent that he's had on the offensive side of the ball in almost 15 years. I think, I'd say in his whole career, to be honest with you. I think, I think, I, I think with this, this group of players, you know, with, with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Gronk, LaShawn McCoy, whether he's a starter or not, and you got O.J. Howard, Cameron Bray, you got two to three solid tight ends on that team. That that's going to be a force, you know, to reckon with. And I know that they're going to be playing in a much more competitive division because now you're playing against the Saints. We'll see what happens with the Falcons. We'll see what happens with the Panthers. I don't really expect them to, you know, I don't expect them to, you know, compete against, you know, the Bucks and the Saints. Don't sleep on Teddy. Don't sleep on Teddy. 
We'll do see. Not. We'll do see. Not. But if I had to guess right now, you know, more than likely the two teams are going to be, you know, gunning for the top spot in the NFC South. It's going to be the Saints and the and the Bucks. Agreed. One hundred percent. I think. I think with Brady, I think he's in a great position. You know, and don't get me wrong. I would have loved to see him continue, you know, and finish his career in New England. But you know, to go to Tampa and get an opportunity to, you know, to have wide receivers like Mike Evans, who's just a stud, one healthy, who's an up and coming, you know, an up and coming receiver in the league. If you have him as a second option, you know, that's going to be a great target for him to go to. And then you get Gronk back on top of it. You know, granted, we'll see what happens with Gronk. He took a year off, and we'll see how uh, how he responds after taking a year off. But when it comes to the Bucks, you know, I'm excited for what that team's going to be able to produce. I'm always going to be a Patriot fan, but I'm always going to be a Tom Brady fan. So, and and that, you know, nothing's going to change about that. So, if I had to say, you know, I'm I'm really excited to see what you know the Bucks are able to do this season because. You know, Tom may be 43, but you give him some receivers, you know, a decent, you know, not only a decent wide receiving core, but probably the best since he's had in almost 15 years. You know, he will make he will make that whole team better just by him being there. 130%. Uh, I don't think that they're favorites in terms of Super Bowl. I know multiple professional analysts and multiple podcasts, as well as a lot of friends, say that they're definitely playoff bound, whether that be a wild card spot or that be the division. Um, I definitely think there are a lot of teams in the NFC. I mean, obviously, Seattle is now out there looking like a whole new legion of boom, and Jamal Adams over there is going to make a difference. I mean, like you said, the Saints are over there. Uh, Who knows if the Rams will ever get back to form? I highly doubt it, but, you know, they're always – somebody to look at with Sean McVay and that, that brilliant offensive mind and Aaron Donald on that side of the ball. But I definitely would say that uh, the NFC is a lot more competitive than people are saying for them to make it as easy as they're making it sound on all of these talk shows where it's like, oh, Tom Brady enters the Bucks, He has this amazing offense, and that automatically solves all their problems. Like, absolutely not. Like you said, there are still holes on the defensive end. Their secondary is still spotty at best. Uh, Shaquille Barrett cannot do it all by himself. So, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. The only time will tell. But, I mean, I'll say, I'll say this about the Bucks, though. You know, when you have somebody like Jameis, and Jameis is just going to fling the ball. You know, there, there were multiple times when he's throwing the ball over 40 times a game. And, you know, I understand that the defense had its, you know, has some holes in it. But it doesn't help when your own quarterback, you know, throws 30 interceptions in one season. Completely throws you, know, you out of a game, yeah. Because, you know, depending on which side of the field you're on, if you throw an interception on your own side of the field, you're already putting your defense at a disadvantage. And the way that I've always looked at it is, you know, Jameis can put up stats. You know, he, he had 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions and 5,000 yards. I mean, don't get me wrong, the 5,000 yards is impressive. But, I mean, throwing 30 interceptions, you're not going to win games that way. And the way that, that I look at it with Brady – even despite the fact that he's 43, he's not going to be throwing 30 interceptions a game, 30 interceptions a year. It's just not going to happen. I think no. he's like, I think his highest interception total, I think it's still under 15. So you take half of what Jameis threw in interceptions last year, more than likely 
that's probably two games that the Bucks would have won if they cut their interception rate in half with the quarterback that they had. So I, I, the way that I see it is, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily consider the Bucks to be, like, the instantaneous, like, favorite to come out of the NFC. I, I wouldn't say that. I would think that, you know, New Orleans is probably – if I had to pick, I would say New Orleans is probably the team to beat in the NFC, but Seattle's making a really big push against that notion right now. But if I had to say, you know, the Bucks are definitely in that mix to contend for a Super Bowl this year. Oh, without a doubt, Tom immediately makes them in the discussion. Like, you know, Vegas has the odds and whatnot. With the, that, that wasn't not once in my mind. It's just I'm very tired of arrogant and non-knowledgeable people that the second they hear Tom Brady go somewhere, that, that makes them, oh, well, you know, he's the winningest quarterback in NFL history, and he's got six Super Bowls, and, you know, him and Bruce Arians and Josh McDaniels' uh, previous offense, things that he can bring from New England, I, I, that doesn't mean you're a favorite, you idiot. There's so much more that goes into football that yeah. it just, you know what I'm saying? It, just, it, it gets me agitated. We can talk about football in person, over the phone, for days. We've, we've literally done it. We've sat in your dorm, and we've shot the shit. We fucking had drinks, and we've just talked about football for hours. Mm-hmm. So when people come and tell me that don't really watch it or people that don't watch it as intensively as I do or you do, and they try to make the argument, well, Tom Brady automatically makes them the favorite. Sometimes I don't even entertain the conversation because it's just stupid. But let's transition this into a conversation in which I have not really gotten to speak to a lot of people about because they're not familiar with my team. The Indianapolis Colts are coming off of an 8-8 eight eight season in which Jacoby Brissett struggled, in which our defense had potential and showed a promise more than it has in a long time with the addition of DeForest Buckner, with the addition of Philip Rivers and the draft that we did with Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor, do you think that the Colts have a chance to come out of not only the AFC South, but to make some noise in the AFC and maybe, you know, come out there and shock Arrowhead? I think they're definitely going to improve with Phil Rivers being on the team. Now, granted, you know, Phil Rivers is forty year, is getting to be 40 years old. He's, he's still a serviceable quarterback, though. And I think, you know, don't get me wrong, like, I've always kind of had, you know, kind of like a soft spot for Jacoby Brissett because he was a Patriot for a couple of yep. years. So I'm always going to have, you know, I'm always going to have a soft spot for Jacoby. But if you're going to sit here and tell me that Jacoby Brissett is a better option than Philip Rivers, you're bugging. Philip Rivers is going to be a much better option at the quarterback position than Jacoby. Now, the one thing that, that kind of concerns me with Philip is, um, you know, his turnovers. If he can limit the amount of turnovers that he makes going into this season, I, I'll i say this. I think they have a very legitimate shot to, you know, win the AFC South. I think it'll kind of depend on how the uh, Titans bounce back after losing the AFC Championship game last year. So I think that's, I think that's really going to be the one team that you're going to have to focus on. Houston's going to be an interesting team moving forward. Just because, you know, when you lose DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, Deshaun Watson's number one target on that offense, it's going to be interesting to see. You know, don't get me wrong, Deshaun Watson's a very good quarterback, you know, one of the upcoming, you know, stars in the league. But it's going to be a much different op- offense without DeAndre Hopkins being there. So I- I'll say this, you know, the Colts are definitely going to be in the mix. And if they get into the playoffs, you know, you can never count them out. They can make some noise, you know, especially because, you know, they have 
They have one of the best offensive linemen in the game, Quentin Nelson. They have a stud on defense with Darius Leonard. And if they can, if they can really put their youth together, they can form, they can form a formidable team, you know, and they can make some noise. And, you know, don't be surprised if they can, you know, make noise against the Ravens, you know, if they get the opportunity to or whoever they might play either in a wild card situation. And if they, if they get to the divisional round, you know, anything can happen. Anything can happen because last year I think everybody was expecting the Ravens to just waltz into the AFC championship game. And so the Titans rolled in with Derrick Henry and said, you know, not so fast. So, but we spoke about that. We spoke about that before the game even happened. I remember vividly we were texting back and forth, and I said, I guarantee you Tennessee is going to come out of left field and they're going to shock the world. I was like, there's no way that gritty Titans – tough-studded defense, that Mike Brable defense, was going to go and give up what all of these other teams did. I said Lamar Jackson's inexperience, Brable's pedigree, and Derrick Henry slowing the ball was going to just, just change that game. We talked about it. Yep. And we, we, we almost called it. I said the Ravens would squeak it out because I said that Lamar Jackson was a little too dynamic for them to contain too long, and maybe Ryan Tannehill wasn't enough. But I, obviously I was wrong with the point. That that team is very slept on and disrespected, especially from a Colts fan perspective, rightfully so. The Mariota draft pick, it, it, it looked like it was going to work for a little bit, and then it just fell apart. The inconsistency in the receiving core, I mean, you name it. Until, De, until Delaney Walker got hurt, they didn't really have anything. Uh, or should I say, until Delaney Walker got there, they didn't really have much targets out there on the outside. They drafted receivers. Obviously, they have A.J. Brown now, who's a beast. They have who? Who is it? Uh, who's another uh, a receiver on their team that uh, that's that's quick that they drafted early in the draft a couple of years back? He's young. What's his name? Oh my God! I'm very upset at myself. Uh, eighty four. Uh, oh, uh, I know his last name's Brown. No, I said AJ Brown already. Okay. Um, I can't remember. It's relevant. They have decent, somewhat. Average, I guess, receivers on that team. But I mean, Ryan Tannehill went and showed out. He played ball. He got the extension. I believe he rightfully deserves for leading them on that run that they did uh, into the postseason and almost taking out the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead, mind you. Um, I think that that defense is pretty much the same. So I, I would not be surprised if Tennessee gives us a run. Um, nobody's worried about Gardner Minshew and his fucking short shorts out there in Jacksonville. Nope. Um, so. I think the AFC South, like you said, is going to be very competitive in terms of it depends on if we beat Tennessee and uh, if we can win our game. I know for a fact that Phillip Rivers is a Band-Aid. Phillip Rivers, like you said, is pushing 40. If we do not win it at all within the next two years, which I do not believe is physically, humanly possible with Patrick Mahomes being in the prime of his career, and if it's not Patrick, I think Lamar's going to make a run out of Lombardi very soon as well. If we can find a way to shock the world and make noise while Phillip has gas in the tank, I think that that is a successful signing. I don't know if we give him another one year next year. Uh, obviously, Jacob Easton is in the works on the back behind Jacoby. I think that Jacoby obviously is going to run out of his contract next year as well. So it's just a matter of how we proceed. Frank Wright's uh, contract is coming up after next season as well, if not after this season. So, we really need to sit there. Jim Irsay has got to really sit down with the front office and, and really reevaluate this whole team. Like you said, we're young. Malik Hooker's in his fifth year of that rookie deal. 
how he performs this year is really going to dictate how that goes. Darius Leonard's going to get all the money in the world when he wants. DeForest Buckner's already getting paid. Um, Justin Houston's contract's up after this year. So I think that the Colts are kind of really in a win or lose or win it all now kind of situation like we were a few years ago when we had Andrew Luck and we went and made those signings with those trash signings, but those signings with Frank Gore, Andre Johnson, Trent Cole, we were really throwing everything at the bucket saying, we got to win. Like these are, these are these players like final gears, final windows. Obviously it's a different team. We're not signing a bunch of old people, but the veterans that we do have on this team are, are, are towards the end of their career. Let's be honest. Justin Houston had 10 sacks last year. He might have more this year because DeForest Buckner immediately de- de- demands a double team. But, you know, I don't know if we go and re-sign him after that. Chris Ballard has shown multiple times over the last four years that he's managed this team that he does not go with the veteran player. He would rather go and draft somebody young with inexperience or go somebody from a practice squad and build them up in our system because Matt Eberflus just runs a tight ship on the defensive end. I think that our secondary has improved with the signing of Xavier Rhodes, and I think that obviously the pass rush is going to be significantly better. We have Kamiko Turi coming back. Uh, from a broken leg. We have Danico Autry coming back from a good season last year. Again, Justin Houston, Darius Leonard, Anthony Walker, who's a very disrespected and slept-on linebacker of ours. And I, I think that we can find a way to make some noise. Again, I don't know if we guaranteed win the division. I would like to say confidently that we go 10-6 this year, just based off of, you know, previous experience, based off of the strength of our record, and or should I say strength of our schedule. And then what else comes out of the AFC is who knows. I definitely say we're a wild card team. We're playoff bound for sure. That's my guarantee. That's my bold prediction. Whether it's a wild card or a divisional, I say the Indianapolis Colts are back into the playoffs. And if we can get a home game, who knows what we can do and shock the world. I don't disagree. I think really the only team that you're going to have to really focus on, you know, is going to be the Titans. It's just because that they, they were able to, you know, to manage their way to get into the AFC championship game when it, you know, just really off the fact that they played stout defense and they gave Derrick Henry the rock. You know, Derrick Henry was an absolute beast last year in the playoffs. Will that carry into the season? We'll see. But to kind of like piggyback off the point that you made about uh, Philip Rivers kind of being like a Band-Aid in that sense, you know, it, it does kind of give me like some sort of like idea that the Bucks are kind of did the same thing with Brady. And I think the reason why I think the Colts, you know, went with Philip Rivers is because that, you know, he's a he's a great quarterback, but they know long term that he's not the answer. And I think, you know, with that signing, it buys them time, you know, to maybe draft a quarterback that they've been looking for for the last maybe you know two or three years, you know, whether it comes in the draft or whether it's somebody that they could trade for. I think, depending on how this season goes, you know, if they re-sign, you know, Philip Rivers, if he has a great season, you know, even better because now they have, now they can take their time in, you know, looking for a quarterback, you know, in the college ranks and drafting him. And then maybe, you know, a year from now, at least getting some serviceable time behind Philip Rivers, if Philip Rivers is still there after this season. 100%. I mean, if we're going to go and talk about, you know, potential quarterbacks coming up, I mean, let's be honest. We don't even know if there's going to be a college football season this year. I mean, what, we have the Pac-12 canceling the season. We have the Big Ten canceling the season. What other major conferences? The, the, the Big 12 didn't announce it. The SEC, I don't think, is going to announce it. But it's the point. Major conferences are backing out for player safety, obviously, student safety, obviously. But 
when you look at conferences like the SEC, the ACC, coming out of nowhere and saying, you know what, we need the money. <laughs> you know, like we, we, there's no way, you know, we're taking the right precaution. Do you view college football as more of a business? Or do you think that they're really thinking about these students? Because like I said, who really cares about the Pac-12? No disrespect to any of those student athletes. No disrespect to any of those teams. But it's like nobody in the Pac-12 is going to make noise since Oregon left. And that, that, that Chip Kelly, that Mariota situation, that's done. The Big Ten, other than Ohio State, which is always in the running. Shout out to my boy Tyree, obviously. Um, they're always in the running for a national championship contention because they are just the Ohio State. But when you really look at it, it's always SEC favorited teams. And then, obviously, you have the favorite out of the ACC being um, Clemson with, uh, you know, Sunshine and Trevor Lawrence. The, 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 I mean, the, the, the questions really, really have to be laid out there because we don't know what's going to happen with college football. And if NFL teams are looking into drafting in the future or if NFL teams are really trying to scout, I believe they're going to really have to do it in free agent market because there's not going to be a college football season in my mind, Kyle. I think at this point – the best way that I could describe this is I think really the college football season is kind of teetering right now because obviously you have the Big Ten basically, you know, squashing their season. However, I will say this. When it comes to the SEC, that is going to be a tough one. That is going to be a tough thing to say to everybody who's in the SEC that we're going to, you know, cancel the season because of COVID. Because Karen from Tuscaloosa is not going to have it if the Tide aren't playing on Saturdays. It's just hundred percent. That's gonna be a tough pill to swallow, you know, for anybody, you know, who is literally like a diehard, you know, fan for their for their team to just accept the fact that the college football season is not going to happen. If it were up to me, I would say that, you know, if they can find a way to manage, I, I don't think they're going to be able to create a bubble situation like you know, the NBA has, I think it's just because you have too many people on the roster and just too, too much personnel. I think in the NBA, you can manage it a little bit better because there's only 15 players. It's like at most like 15 players on the team. You know, on game day, you're going to have upwards of 70 to 80 players on the sideline. And then not mention the fact you have all the coaching personnel on top of it. So, you know, on one team, you're going to have upwards of like 150 people on staff, you know, whether it's on the sideline or up in the booth, you know, there for game day. So I think, I think with football, I think they're going to give it a shot, you know, whether it's the SEC or the Big 12, I think they could give it a shot. But I, I think at this point, I would tend to agree with you that I think the season is probably going to get canceled just because there are too many variables to kind of factor in to say, okay, let's, let's play. There's just too much uncertainty. Even despite the fact, even despite the fact that, there are players, I mean, hundreds of players saying, we want to play. I yeah, Justin Fields started that petition. Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if that has, you know, some effect on their decision. But I think at this point, you know, the Big Ten has already made their decision, you know, that they're not going to play this season. And it sucks because, you know, that's a year away, you know, that's a year off for the players that, you know, going into this season – you know, they can make a really big name for themselves, you know, going into next year's draft if they decide to, you know, you know, be eligible for the draft after this season. So, you know, I still think, like, Trevor Lawrence is probably going to be, like, the number one pick going into the draft next year, even despite the fact, you know, if they don't play this year. 
But there, there are a lot of players that we don't even know that are on, you know, a bunch of different rosters. You know, you take a season away from them, they're not going to be able to, you know, show their impact, you know, to not only scouts, you know, in the NFL, but you know, just their teammates on the team. Hundred you know, percent. You know, sometimes you have some, you have players that come out of nowhere and make a name for themselves, and now that you know the season's taken away from them. You know they're not going to be ha- they're not going to have that opportunity, but you know, you know when it comes to the you know the, the health and safety of the players, you know I understand the idea of you know canceling or postponing the season. It's not like I don't understand that. It's just it's going to suck for some of these players because now they're not going to be able to showcase their talents in front of NFL scouts. Without a doubt, I mean it's different for the NFL just because those are grown men. They don't have to worry about school. They don't have to worry about foregoing their future. They're already getting paid. So, yep. you know, no no, no disrespect to their safety. I'm not saying that they're not important. But if there was an outbreak in the NFL, they have the means to go and contain that versus on a school campus, on a school athletic team, you, you can't really limit or, you know, hinder their interaction with other people. Mind you, some classes may be virtual, but you still have to come in contact with people at the dorms. You still have to come in contact with people at the facilities. You still have to come in contact when they have to go home. You know what I mean? Like, there are too many outlying factors for college football, and I understand that player safety is that much more important for those students because they are students first and then athletes. But when people try to make the comparison, oh, if the NFL can do it, why can't college football? Again, people just don't understand the detail that goes into a college football season and an NFL season. The NFL is a business. Obviously, I'm not saying that the NCAA is not, but those are children. Those are students. Those are somebody's kids. You know what I mean? Like, there is a lot more that has to go into scheduling a college football season as opposed to a professional paid players association. <laughs> you, know what I, you know what I'm trying to get at? Like, it's, yep. just, it's a whole different spectrum of factors that people don't realize that goes into making these schedules, man. And, and I just – I feel bad. Like you said, I feel bad for the student athletes. Like, my, me and Isabel were talking about it a few days ago, how some of these athletes are losing their senior seasons – because the school year isn't stopping. They're just going to do online classes virtually. So I don't think their eligibility leaves or, you know, is, is wasted either. But, I mean, like, that's a year of their life that they won't be able to play or practice or, you know what I'm saying, stay in shape or lose opportunity to play in the league. I think NFL scouts are going to have to go based off of the year before. And who knows? What if somebody got hurt? What if they're finally healthy? What if they were, you know, poised to have a better season this year? So it's just. The NFL draft, the NBA draft, all of these drafts coming up in 2021 are going to be majorly affected because of the lack of or potentially lack of a season that may or may not happen for college sports as a whole. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. I, uh, I'm curious. I'm excited to see how the NFL goes. I mean, I think today is the 27th or 27 or 28 days until the season kicks off. But college football is normally right behind it, and I am not happy that the Gators are not going to be playing this season. Uh, shout out to the Gators. And uh, hope to be back at the Swamp real soon. You was at that game, probably one of the greatest games I've ever witnessed in my life. <laughs> that was, it was a great game. That was my first college football game. Uh, same. Like, same. I, 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 forget, I forget who had the pick six. I've never been in a stadium like that. I've never heard a stadium so loud before when that guy intercepted that ball and took it back to the house for six. Like, that was a moment. That was a moment. It's one thing to like watch it on TV, but it's, it's something entirely different when you're actually there. It, it, to to uh, witness the number 22 team in the country come out and slap the five. Not slap, but, you know, come out there with the upset 
And then I had my phone in my hand recording the play. And the stadium erupted so loud and the the ground shook underneath us, I almost dropped my phone of excitement. I I just had it like, I was like, I was literally just thinking in my head, I was like, oh shit, like this is, this is crazy. This just happened. happened. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, and it's LSU. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a great rivalry game between the Gators and the Tigers. And, you know, just that, just that one game will always, will always stand out to me just because, to be honest with you, going into that game, I thought, you know, I thought the Tigers were just going to roll. But, man, the Gators were super competitive that day, and they showed out. Yeah, Felipe actually did something worthy, you know what I'm saying? But I'm not even going to talk about that scrub. Good luck in Arkansas, you bum. Yeah, we we have we have them on our schedule this year if the season does happen, and I'm really hoping that Kyle Trask bust that ass over there because the Razorbacks ain't the same, and Jerry World can go and can cry about it later. Obviously, Jerry Jones is an alma mater. His alma mater college is the Razorbacks, the Arkansas Razorbacks, for those of you that are unaware. But, I mean, other than that, I'm pretty sure I'm done. Uh, I, I think I had more, but I can't remember. I know I had a stat fact of the day that I have to look up. Did you have anything that you wanted to talk about? I know you always have topics you're curious to, to, to reach well, out. You've been the one asking all the questions, so let me let me throw one back at you. What you got for uh, me? Oh, actually, it's probably two, but I'll throw it out anyway. Um, who do you have coming out of the AFC and the NFC to go to the Super Bowl this year? Personally, um, I see Pat Mahomes doing it again. I just I don't see that team taking a step back, re-signing Chris Jones, re-signing Travis Kelsey, uh, Sammy Watkins taking a pay cut. They pretty much kept that team together other than the exit of LaShawn McCoy, who didn't play in the postseason. But Damian Williams did announce that he was holding out or that he was not playing this season, if I'm not correct. If I'm not wrong, I have to look that up. I just I don't follow. I the I, I, I think Dam- I I think Damian Williams opted out of playing this season, so it's going to rely on the rookie running back from LSU. Um, but I think that the Kansas City Chiefs are favorites for me. If not, I would definitely say uh, not a close second, but Lamar Jackson is going to try to find a way to go and get that playoff run started correctly this time. But coming out of the NFC, it's like we discussed earlier, I think it's going to be between the Saints and the Seahawks showdown. I think the acquisition of Jamal Adams really ramps up that already scary defense. I think DK Metcalf and Russell Wilson are going to have an incredible year. I think Greg Olson being the missing tight end piece that they've been lacking the past couple of years is going to be incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, Tyler Lockett out there and that running game behind uh, Russell Wilson, it, it's it's all – if I had to bet money on it right now, Pat Mahomes, Russell Wilson, both of them competing for a second ring right now. And I would say the only reason I'm favoring uh, – the only reason I favor Kansas City is just defending champs. I like Andy Reid as a coach, and I think that Kansas City finds a way with uh, Pat Mahomes all the time. Not that Russell can't do it, not that Pete Carroll is an experience, and not that their defense can't play, but I, I don't know. It's just something about Pat Mahomes that really kind of – makes me put statistics away and say, let me let me watch this man play and see if he can do it, which he already has. I mean, I think when when I look at the, uh, you know, when I look at, you know, the AFC, you know, listen, I've been a Patriot fan for 20 years, and, you know, it's been nice to watch, you know, the Patriots have that 20-year run and, you know, in the dynasty that they've had, win six rings. Despite that, you know, I have to give it up to the Chiefs because right now it looks like, you know, the Chiefs are primed to make that 
dynasty type run. Just because as soon as Patrick Mahomes hit the field um, a couple years ago and was the starter for the Chiefs, I mean, for me personally, you know, that guy is special. That guy, I mean, the guy can literally fling the ball 70 yards while rolling out of the pocket and make it look easy. I've never, I've never seen a quarterback make the plays that he can make so effortlessly. You know, maybe Aaron Rodgers to a certain extent, but what Patrick Mahomes can do at the age that he's doing it at, I have to give respect and I have to give it up to, to Pat because he's just, he's just an amazing quarterback. Balling on another level right now. Balling on another level. So you know, for me, you know, I got I got to tip my I got to tip my cap to the Chiefs just because, you know, it looks like that they are the team that is gonna you know, basically end the Patriots dynasty run if it hasn't ended already. I mean, we'll see what happens with the Patriots moving forward, but it looks like that that Chiefs team is just primed to take over in the AFC as far as I'm concerned. The NFC the NFC is a completely different story. The NFC I've always thought is a more competitive conference. Just because the Patriots have had such a has had such a lock on the AFC for so long, but you know when it comes to the NFC, you know the NFC is going to be exciting, I, and it's it's not really a, a conference that I focus on because I've I've always been more of an AFC conference guy, but the NFC is going to be fun to watch this year, and especially when it gets to the playoffs if there's a season. You know, like you said, I think I think this I think Seattle is going to have you know, a lot to say this year with the acquisitions that they've made. But if I had to guess, I think it's either going to be the Saints or the Bucks. And I think just because – I think the Saints, for for the last two to three years, they've been so close, and yet they just cannot get to the Super Bowl. And I think this year – I think they got a de- I think they have the best shot to maybe get there. Don't get me wrong, it's it's going to be competitive and it's going to be tough. You know, they're going to have to deal with that that monster that's out in Seattle right now. And they're going to have to deal with, with Brady in their own division. So it's not, it's not going to come easy. <laughs> if there's any team that kind of deserves a shot to, you know, to get to the Super Bowl just because that they've been so close and they just find a way to not get there. You know, it's the Saints and I think the Saints could get it done this year. Well, well, for my sanity's sake, fuck the Saints and the Patriots for let the record show very well. Um, I hope that we are wrong, or should I say that you're wrong because I picked Seattle. But I uh, I also think that uh, there are some other teams out there that need to be recognized. I do think that the uh, the Minnesota Vikings somehow maybe can find a way. They are a competitive team. They are a good defense. I think that Kirk Cousins. Well, hopefully make it a little bit more competitive in the North. You know, obviously you got Green Bay. Can never really sleep on Aaron Rodgers. Second second season with LaFleur or whatever. What's his name? Matt what? Matt LaFleur. Yeah. I keep thinking of Peter LaFleur and Dodgeball. But anyway, um, I, I think that, you know, you can never sleep on A-Rod out there. Obviously, uh, I've preached up and down about the Philadelphia Eagles just because of the girlfriend's family and, you know, all the games that I watch and Carson Wentz's magic. Um, I hate to say it, but – I don't know if the Dallas Cowboys can actually put a season together and make a run, but with that high-powered offense and that defense being what it is, you know, obviously the loss of Gerald McCoy is going to affect them greatly. He mm-hmm. tore his quad or ruptured his quad or whatever it is. 
But I think that uh, the Dallas Cowboys can maybe find a way to get into the playoffs and make some noise in there, if they, again, if they can get it together and stay healthy. But, again, like you said, the, the NFC has always kind of been a toss-up, and uh, whoever comes out of it, not that I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't think it's going to be as easy as I said, or should I say as people would say. But, I mean, my prediction, again, is the uh, the Saints, or should I say, God forbid, the <laughs> Chiefs and the Seahawks for the year. I mean, that's, that, I mean I'd, that'd be a great Super Bowl. I mean, I'd, oh, yeah. I'd have no issue with that. I think for me, I think I would probably say it's going to be the Chiefs and the Saints. But, you know, like you said, you know, I mean, anything can change. I mean, hell, I mean, Lamar Jackson can, can fall out this year and maybe upset the Chiefs. You know, so I'm, I'm not going to count the Ravens. I mean, yeah, he's, he's the number one rated player in the NFL, so who knows? Do you really believe that, though? This is bullshit. I'm not getting into this again. This is the third episode in a row, man. I'm fucking tired of this damn top NFL list. People need to reevaluate their goddamn lives or get fired. Because that's not the best player in football. Fuck, man. They are smoking some good shit in that office if they really think that this man is the best player in the NFL over Patrick motherfucking Mahomes, man. I'm I mean, not doing this again. I'm not doing this again. Drop it. I'm not. I'm, I already I, I felt the veins pop out of my neck. <laughs> I feel the pressure in my temples. I'm going into the stat fact of the day, bro, because that list is pure garbage, and that's the last time I'm going to talk about it. So this stat comes from Dan Clark Sports. I follow him on Twitter. Uh, this is about baseball. So I got Mike Trout entered the season with 285 career home runs and 4,340 at-bats. That's a home run every 15.2 at bat. For those of you that are unaware, Mike Trout also missed a decent amount of time over the last couple of years with various injuries. So who knows how many more home runs he would have hit if it wasn't for that. In 2020, Mike Trout has 10 home runs and nearly 76 at bats, which means he's hitting a home run every 7.6 at bat, which is literally twice as good as the previous years. Kyle, that's that is I, I I can't even fathom words of how good he is and the argument of he is the best player in baseball, he might be the best player to ever play baseball, only comes further into reality because of because of stats like this. Even despite the fact that your boy Judge has been cooking so far this year before he ended up on the IL. Again, I'm not trying to be biased with the Yankees, but Mike Trout, it's, it's, it's not even close to me of how much better he is. Mike Trout does it all. Gold gloves, MVP, uh, stolen base, RBIs, home runs, base hits. The man is the best all-around baseball player I have ever seen in my life. In my life. And I've watched baseball as closely and vividly as I possibly could have someone from a Yankee household. I have seen incredible players come up and down in my 26 years of life. I've heard of legends like Pete Rose and Tony Gwynn, rest in peace. But, I mean, this guy is a once-in-a-lifetime, not generational, a lifetime player because he does it all. He's got the speed of a Ricky Henderson on the base pad. He's got the glove over Torrey Hunter in center field. He's got the power of an Aaron Judge batting for the home runs. But he has the plate awareness of a Pete Rose to put that baseball wherever it needs to be. He's the best baseball player I've ever seen in my life, and it's not even close. It just it sucks that he's on a team like the Angels and and doesn't get. I think I think when it comes to like like the mainstream 
like sports like sports fan. I think they know who Mike Trout is, but even like I think from the people that don't necessarily like watch baseball, like they may know the name Mike Trout, even despite the fact that he's regarded as probably the best baseball player in the game right now. It's just he doesn't get the shine that he does because he's not on a he's on a team like the Angels. You put I'm just I'm not saying that you know Mike Trout's gonna be on the Yankees or anything, but if you were to put like Mike Trout on a contending team, a team that's you know vying for you know a World Series title, the amount of attention and shine that he would that he's already seen would even be more than I think a lot of us could even imagine if he was on just a better team. Can you imagine him on Tampa? Like, as, as a Yankee fan, I don't want that. You know what I mean? But that is a very young and competitive team right now with that farm system and that young core. And my twin, Blake Snell, I really think that if a game-changing player like a Bryce Harper, like a Mike Trout, were to hit that kind of market, I think that the MLB would erupt, and I think that immediately makes a team like the Rays a favorite. Oh, for sure. For sure. I, I mean, hell, I mean, if it was on the eighth, I mean – They'd probably be the World Series favorite right now. The A's, are, if anybody doesn't know, I believe, what are they, 16-6, and six, the MLB's best record. The Yankees are right behind them at 15-6. and six. Um, The Yankees are on a five-game win streak. We have beat the Red Sox for the last, what are we, like, out of the last 15 games we beat, no, out of the last 16 games we beat them 15 times. We are 10-0 and against the Red Sox for the last 10 games. So, yeah, fuck Boston. We are starting another series against Tampa tonight. If not today or tomorrow, I can't remember. And we have Garrett Cole on the mound again. Um, Kyle, what are your thoughts on the season, man? I know I said that the stat fact of the day was the end, but, I mean, we got into the baseball topic with the stat of the day, so I guess it transitions, right? I, I, like, I like this format because it seems to me it's more like a sprint. You know, like with, with the MLB season, it's always been like a slow burn because you have 162 games in the season. But this, this to me makes it more fun because – each game means more now. You know, you're only playing, was it, 60 games? Yep. So, you know, there's really no time, you know, you know, there may be like a point in the season like where a team, you know, gets into a lull, you know, they're not performing the way that they need to be even though you know that they can play better. And then, but they have the time to kind of, you know, regroup and then kind of make like a late season push to, you know, make it to the playoffs and make a run in the playoffs. You know, right now you don't really have that, you don't have that – you can't afford that right now. You have to show out, you know, in the time that you have because, you know, the playoffs are going to come around very soon. You know, I, I don't know when they start. It's going to be probably what, like that's September? Something like that. I mean, if we're already – if the Yankees are 15 and 6, that's 21. Most teams are at 22, 23 games. So we're already over a quarter of the way, and that was only in a month. I would say probably, yeah, maybe end of September, October. I think they're still on track to do October baseball. So – We'll see what happens in that regard. Um, but I got, like, I got, I got, I got to ask just because I know you know me. Do you think Gary Sanchez is turning it around? I mean, he hit a bomb against the the Sox the other day. Freaking hit it like four hundred fifty uh, feet. If he hits it a thousand feet. <laughs> I mean, it was well documented what we were talking about it the other day. That your disdain for this guy, really, probably over the last two seasons, is. Apparent. It's overflowing with hatred and frustration. It, it's just he's he's just struggling to hit the ball. Like, 
you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, it was, it was nice to actually see him, you know, produce against the Sox a couple of days ago. One of but the worst was, teams, if not the worst team in baseball, but yeah. But, but what, was, what was it you were telling me that the guy was only batting like like 125, if not less? Yeah. It's just, you know, it's one thing to be in a slump. You know, if you're in a slump for, you know, a couple of weeks, you know, every, every player probably go, goes through that, you know, in a season. But this guy has been going through it for multiple seasons. And, you know, it's one thing that I think I think the Yankees are going to have to make a tough decision down the road. I, I think for now they're, they're just going to stick with Sanchez because, you know. We don't really have another option at this very moment in time. Exactly. And, and, and you know, to be fair, he's still fairly young. But, yeah, you know, he still has to be able to go out there and produce. I think, you know, I think defensively he's getting a little bit better. You know, yeah, he threw a couple people out in the last couple of games. I've seen him, you know, snag a couple of hoses out there. So, you know, I think I think in that aspect of his game, you know, I I don't have it. Getting better. He's getting better. But if it's coming at the expense of, you know, his offense, you know, you know, I just hope that he can get it back offensively. I hope so too. We had we had a window. We had a little sign, a little 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 display, a tease, however you want to use an adjective. He had three home runs in three straight games, and he gave us a little light of what the old Gary used to be. I think I saw a stat today. He is the second highest slug percentage catcher in MLB history at like 511% or like .511. The only catcher in MLB history that is higher is Mike Piazza at like 530-something or 550-something. So he's like right behind him in slugging percentage. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't give a shit if this man has a slugging percentage of 800. If he's batting under 150, he has no place on an MLB team. I, again, the bias may be sounding a little bit more uh, on point lately, you know, a little bit more serious because of how bad we were doing at one point when we went on that skid against the Phillies and the Rays. But, I mean, until he shows this hitting ability consistency consistently, I don't know where we move forward. DJ LeMay, he was obviously on the IL. Stanton, unfortunately, hit the IL as well. Judge is coming back on Saturday. So, I mean, we, we just got Chapman back. So, I, I, I don't know what's happening right this second because I know that we're focused on just winning the season. Like you said, it's a sprint right this second, so we're not focused on the off season. But I've said it multiple times. I will say it again. Our priority this off season needs to 100% be to re-sign DJ LeMay because his two-year deal is over. Aaron Judge obviously won his arbitration, so he's making a couple mil this year. I know his deal is either up this year or next year. We got to give him the check. We need to reevaluate what the fuck we're going to do with Giancarlo Stanton because I get it. He's productive when he plays, but the man, let's be honest, has been on the IL more than he's fucking played any damn games. Yeah. He's he's getting paid over $300 million. The Marlins are paying the majority of it, but it's the point. Our payroll is going to someone sitting down. So we have a lot of things to look forward to. Not look forward to, but we have a lot of things to focus on this offseason as a Yankee fan, as Yankee fans for the two of us. I know you guys are probably saying, what the fuck? Didn't you say he was a Patriot fan? But didn't you say he was a Lakers fan? Kyle, just give the the audience a little bit of an explanation. I mean – I mean, the best way that I can put it is, so, I mean, I grew up in Connecticut, so, you know, growing up, you know, it was it was going to be the Patriots. And the Patriots, I was, I think I was like six years old when they won their first Super Bowl. And then, you know, obviously, you know, being a Patriot fan ever since, you know, 
I'm still a Patriot fan. You know, despite the fact that Brady's gone, you know, being a Patriot fan is always going to be something that I'm going to hold near and dear. When it, when it comes to the Lakers, like, when I was growing up, my favorite player, you know, was Kobe. You know, I, it, it's, it's weird because, like, I've talked to other people, like, who are maybe a year or two younger for me, and, like, their favorite is LeBron, like, without a doubt. And they're always going to be a LeBron fan. Like, for me, it was always Kobe. But as time moved forward, you know, I just, I just love the Lakers. I've always had, you know, my heart towards the Lakers, even despite the fact that we went through a god-awful run from, like, 2013 to 2017 with players like I, – I don't mean to be disrespectful here – but when you have somebody like Robert Sacre, <laughs> like Xavier Henry, I mean, <laughs> these are scrubs. Like, I'm sorry. These are the flat-out scrubs. <laughs> to get to the point where we are now, where we're the number one seed in the West, you know, oh, shit. It, it makes those years of suffering, I guess, worth it just because, man, those were some tough years. So, oh, my God. This man said Robert Sacre, and the only vision I have in my head is him doing that dunk contest in China and getting rim stuff. I mean, we had we had Nick Young and Jordan Hill on the team, flat out scrubs. Oh, whoa, oh, whoa, oh, hey, wait, oh, wait. Don't be talking about Swaggy P like that. The man is a bucket. No, I'm not, down there, buddy. Not with the Lakers, not with the Lakers though. Not with hey, that. When he stole that shot from Lou Williams and he hit that game winner, he was a bucket. I mean, the, the the picture that I always remember of Nick Young when he was on the Lakers, when he took that three-point that shot. That three turned around and rimmed out. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll never, I'll never forget. I, I remember Kobe was getting interviewed by, G, I think it was Jimmy Kimmel. And they oh, had just, my God. They had I remember that. They won a game. I think they won their first game after losing like nine or ten straight. And I think the interviewer was talking to, I think it was um, – Jeremy Lin. I think Jeremy Lin was on that team at the time. And they were – I remember, I think it was Nick Young and Jordan Hill. They were gassing up uh, Jeremy Lin and the interviewer. And then they paused the video, and Jimmy Kimmel, like, will start talking to Kobe. And Kobe just has, like, this mean mug on his face. And basically he's just saying, I got to deal with these fuckers on the team. It's just – it's just, like – Seeing Kobe's expression, literally just like, I don't want anything to do with these guys, says it all. You know, rest in peace to Kobe. But, like I said, you know, those years of pain and suffering, you know, they were all worth it. You know, even despite the fact that, you know, we didn't get LeBron, you know, during the prime of his career. We're the number one seed, and I'm just happy with where, you know, where we're at right now. We're in a good position, you know, and I hope that we make the most of it. I know I've talked about it with Tyree multiple times at work or, you know, texted off on on and off. I think that Portland finds a way to sneak at least a game or two. Obviously, I think the Lakers win the series. But I'm going to tell you what I told Tyree. If you guys do not make a statement and try and put the clamps on this man, Damian Lillard, at least make it difficult for him in game one, and he goes for 40-plus, you guys are in fucking trouble, bro. I, I cannot stress to you how much this man balling. And you know 
I watched that motherfucking game when he dropped 61, so I know very well how hot he is. If you guys don't stop him, I promise you, you won't regret it, bro. I swear to God. I, 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 he could. He is a type of player that can carry a, a team and, and, and go seven games and make it a, and make it a series. Like to me, you know, for an eight seed, this is a hell of an eight seed. Oh, like, like, I mean, literally, like, you have to defend this guy as soon as he crosses the half court line. You cannot give him space. He'll take one or two steps from the half court line and will take that shot without hesitation and make probably half the shot and make half of the shot from 40 feet. Like, I know Steph was kind of, you know, known for revolutionizing the game with a three-point shot a couple years ago. But Dame is just like, you know what, I, I don't care. As soon as I pass the half court line and I get a decent look, I'm chucking it, and half the time it's going in. Logo Lillard. That's a scary, scary thought to go up against. I still think in the end, you know, I think the Lakers are probably going to win. I think the safe bet is going to be in six. I think, you know, for me personally, I want to see them win in five. But I think right now I put the Lakers, you know, winning in six. That's what Kyrie said. He said gentleman sweep. He said in five. You know, that's what I want. I don't think the Lakers are just going to flat out sweep them. But I think Dame is probably get them a game, maybe two. But, you know, not only that, you got C.J. McCollum. I know he's dealing with a, I know he's dealing with, a, you know, a back issue right now. That, you know, we'll see how that goes. But he could still produce. And it'll be interesting to see Melo in the playoffs. It's been a long time since Melo's been in the playoffs. And, you know, granted, he doesn't have a championship, but he does have you know, a lot of playoff experience, and he can ball out. He can get you in, he can get you in easy, you know, 20 points, even despite the fact that he's not the number one option on the team anymore. 100%. I think that Portland is going to be a big testimony to how you guys play the rest of the postseason. I think that you guys playing lackadaisical for the majority of the bubble, unfortunately. You know, you did clinch the one seed, so like I said a couple episodes ago, that could be in re- a big reason why you guys didn't play as, you know, as intense, you know, with effort. I don't think that Braun needed to play hard at all. So, I mean, you know, maybe he was saving his body. I don't know. But if, like I said, and I'm going to reiterate it to everybody and anybody if we ever talk about it, if the Lakers do not find a way to put some form of a clamp or difficulty on Damian Lillard, the Los Angeles Lakers will regret the day they've doubted this man who is on a, clearly a mission not only to make it to the playoffs, but to try to make a run at the title. Everybody keeps saying he signed that Supermax deal and he's crazy. He's never going to win in Portland. He's one of those once, or should I say, not once in a lifetime. He is one of those players that are like the old days where he says, let's win, and I'm going to win with you, like a Dirk Nowitzki, like a Kobe Bryant. Damian Lillard is willing to ride or die with the Blazers, and he's trying to push them past what seems to be the impossible. So I'm just saying, the man is on a motivated, on a fucking mission, and he's out here, bro. Lakers better show up tonight or so help me God. We're going to be having a whole different discussion next week. It, it, well, I mean, hell, I mean, look what happened to the Bucks today. The Bucks lost to the Magic in game one. Shocker, but not necessarily. I don't know why. I think, just, it's just because, I think it's because the Bucks have been struggling to play well in the bubble. Yeah, I mean, we beat them, too. With, I mean, with not majority backups, but we, we, we did beat them. I, I, I still think the Bucks are still going to win that series. They oh, yeah. Look what happened last that. year. Toronto yeah, lost game that. one to Orlando, and Toronto won the championship. So, again, it's, it's game one. It's a punch in the mouth to the number one seed in the entire NBA. But I don't think they have enough to go and, you know, 
beat the Milwaukee Bucks in seven games. Would I be surprised if it goes six or seven the way that they played today? Absolutely not. But I don't think Giannis is going to let it happen. Mind you, Giannis had 32. But, you know, he's, it's, it's like we've talked about for years since Giannis got into the league. I will live with you taking 11 threes and making three of them. He only took seven, but it's the point. I will let you shoot all day. Yeah, and I think – I just don't see the Bucks losing. I, I just don't see them losing to the Magic. I, it would be crazy. It would be probably one of the biggest shocks in NBA history if the best record, the top-seeded Milwaukee Bucks go out and lose to a sub-500 team at the eighth seed. I just, I just don't see it. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, like, the Magic can't play. I mean, they made it into the playoffs. But the Bucks, from a talent standpoint, are just so much better. Hey, I, I'll, I, I'll, I'll, I'll put it like this. There was a 0.2% chance the Oklahoma City Thunder made the playoffs this year, and they're the five seed. That's all I got to say. Anything can happen. Yeah, and, I mean, I mean that's going to be a fun series. That OKC series is going to be a fun one. I'm curious to see how Chris Paul goes out that revenge game or that revenge series with uh, you know against James. So we'll see what happens. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun to watch. You know, really, you know, all these teams. You know, granted, I know it's not the same. You know, I know it's not the same situation compared to years past because you know you're playing in a bubble. But I think you're gonna see a lot of guys. You know pop off out of nowhere, kind of like similar to, um, like, hell, I mean, when the Suns went 8-0 in the, in the bubble, you know, Devin Booker balled out. I think, I think you might see some unsung, some unsung heroes, you know, come out of nowhere and make a name for themselves, you know, in this situation because, you know, I think there are some players, you know, that thrive off of, you know, you know the energy from the crowd. And I think there are some players that shrink because the pressure may be too much from the crowd. Agreed. But, but I don't think that series is going to be the same, man. Russell's not playing for, like, what, two to four games or something like that with his quad being hurt? It's going to, it's, and that's, going to have a, that's going to have a major impact on the series. So I, 100%. And I think that series gets chippy quick just because oh, of how CP3 is. For sure. So we'll see for what happens in that regard. But, I mean – but all that being said, Kyle, that's pretty much the end of the episode. I wanted to give you a big shout-out for coming on. I wanted to say thank you for being a, a part of the cast. And I really wanted to say, you know, I appreciate you staying in contact with everything and COVID and you guys are being safe up there in Tampa. So big kudos to you guys, man. Oh, for sure, man. I, pre- I Thanks for having me on. So, Of course. Oh, oh before I wrap it up, uh, you don't know him. Uh, a super big kudos to my boy Bryce Howard. Um, that boy got a job right out of college. Uh, when I met Bryce, he was a just a kid trying to live his life, you know, go out there, have a good time. But now he's got his big boy job. He's out there making his moves. He's got his plans. He's got his goals. I'm not a big brother in any sense. I'm not a, a parent, but I could not be more proud of the man you've become and how far you've come. So keep it pushing, bro. Keep doing what you got to do. Kyle, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. I, I legit forgot I was trying to say that way earlier today. No worries, man. You got you got to show the man respect. Hell yeah. Uh, what game is on right now? Uh, sitting here acting like I'm not recording a podcast, but it wouldn't be authentic if I didn't start asking questions. What game is on right now? Jesus. Uh, 
Oh, enjoy. Rockets, Rockets, Thunder uh, in like 15 minutes. Let me go catch that game. Uh, Kyle, again, thank you big time for the, for coming on the episode. Hopefully we get to link up soon and uh, we can uh, shoot the shit and talk more. Hopefully then maybe record an episode in person so this choppy service won't uh, interfere with the quality. But we hope to have you on the cast again, brother. Thank you so much. For sure, man. I look forward to it. Appreciate you having me on. Yes, sir. I'll holler at you later, man. Yes, sir. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. Touchdown! On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed.